Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon and welcome to this broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. Of course, my name is Scotty Reed. I am the MC, if you will, of this program. I'm broadcasting from behind these enemy lines called the United States of America. Uh, yeah, liberty and justice for all is something that they say, but if you tune in frequently to this program, which a lot of the programs do focus on, uh, 21st century slavery and human trafficking, then you will know that that's not the truth. You know, the mainstream media, they'll give you a peek, but we break it down raw for you. Uh, at least we try on this network. All right. Um, I just want to welcome those who were listening to the, uh, pre-recorded broadcast of the Abolitionist Daily. That's a new daily program right here on the Black Talk Radio Network, Monday through Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern to about uh, 1 p.m. And uh, that's hosted by Johanna Alaya. He is one of the three hosts of New Abolitionist Radio, a weekly program that comes on Wednesday nights. Uh, you get a lot of information from both of those programs on 21st century slavery and human trafficking. And then, you know, perhaps we hope that you won't be walking around uh, using the language of political correctness, which is to say mass incarceration. It is not any kind of new phenomena that needs a new name. It is the same old evil that this country uh, economy was founded on, and it continues to this day. Um, the evidence is out there if you will just take a look at it. You know, there is no reason for us to be ignorant when we live in the information technology age where information is right there at your tips so there there's just no excuse it's there if you want to know you can find out but you know perhaps you don't want to know because once you're confronted with this evil truth that slavery was not abolished in 1865 then you might you're if you got a conscience be uh compelled to Bring it to an end to do whatever you can, death by a thousand paper cuts, whatever you can to bring uh, this evil to end once and for all. Um, so, yeah, it's not something they're going to do for us. It's like many other elders and ancestors have said, uh, when it comes to black liberation, it's something that we're going to have to get for ourselves because nobody Look, they had how many years? 200, 250 years. I don't know if they was going to do right. Don't you think they'd have been done it by now? And I'm talking about those who are most in charge of, of this corporation called the United States of America. There's a lot of uh, old money, a lot of slave money behind the scenes that's pulling the strings. And so 
Um, there should be uh, no uh, misconceptions about that. So today we have a program. We get to celebrate the one year anniversary of cultural grassroots dot com, which was created by uh, Marlon L. Adams, who will be joining us during the second hour, I think right around five o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And so they are celebrating cultural grassroots dot com uh, their one year in existence. And so in addition to discussing the mission of cultural grassroots dot com, which is a black crowdfunding uh platform uh we will also discuss some of the points and issues that he raised in an article published on that website called crowdfunding the dream in 2015 um again mr at mr uh marlon adams is a what he calls a cultural preneur and has many years of experience in business as an attorney a film distributor a producer and essayist so yes we are looking forward to congratulating uh, Mr. Adams on one year anniversary. Yeah, one year anniversary of the website. And you can go there to culturalgrassroots.com, which is a black crowdfunding uh, operation. Uh, so during the first hour, I guess, you know, we'll open up the phone lines 530-881-1400, access code 549-032-POUND. And if you want to comment, you hit star six and the number one, and we will, uh, I will, uh, get you on the air. Uh, speaking of anniversaries, uh, let me see. How old is the Black Talk Media Project? Um, we started in 2008. Yeah, 2008. And so it's 2015 now. So what? What, what's that? That's almost eight years. That's what, seven years? Seven years of uh, that uh, the Black Talk Media Project has been engaged in uh, doing its best to spread the word about new media technology. Stop begging white people to be on their platform. Stop begging, you know, uh, the powers that be to, uh, you know, whining when they kick a black news host off the air or whatnot, like uh, coming up in one of the stories that I'll be covering, MS. NBC had a black purge of this on air talent is political commentators. And so, uh, yeah, um, we shouldn't in, in the technological age with how small and portable technology is. And just, I mean, the internet and its openness, if, if we keep it open, cause remember the net neutrality fight is still going on, but I mean, we could be creating our own platforms just like, um, you know, modest, modestly, we created the Black Talk Radio Network in 2008 as well. Uh, first, uh, Black Talk Radio Network was founded, then Black Talk Media Project was founded, but, uh, Black Talk Radio Network was born out of an act of racism, um, against us. A lot of white people complaining, uh, not only about the content that we discuss, the guests that we bring on, um, they also were complaining about the name Black Talk Radio, you know, saying that that's racist. That's racist. So, yeah, it was born out of an act of racism. Uh, back in November, we celebrated our seventh year in existence. And usually uh, during the month of February is when we launch our uh, this will be our second annual fundraiser. Our first one was last year. Uh, fell well, well short of the goal. 
Uh, but people did, uh, did contribute and it helped, you know, to keep us on the air on our shoestring budget. So this is the second annual, uh, Black Talk Media Project fundraiser. And, um, we hope that this one is, uh, more successful than the last one. Every little bit helps. And, you know, that's kind of in line with what our guest is talking about, uh, from culturalgrassroots.com. Uh, Mr. Adams will be speaking about crowdfunding, you know, crowdfunding our ideas. So, uh, we hope, uh, that, of course, I'm sure you've seen all the banners and, uh, other promotions we put up announcing, um, the, launch of the second annual fundraiser so we hope you'll take the time to uh, not only check it out but also make a contribution whatever you can give and then uh share with others and tell them you know of course you know if you're going to fund it you must think this network is important so tell another person you know why this network is important and ask them to contribute maybe they've never even heard of the network and um so yeah you could just tell them to check it out and if they listen to some of the different programming on the platform and if they uh find anything of value then make a small contribution so we can not only continue our mission uh but also expand it as well we would like to get into a video uh providing video um allowing users to upload videos also allowing uh, people who don't want to do radio programs, but want to do video broadcasts. And so the technology is out there. Uh, all we have to do is be able to get it and implement it. So we don't have to beg MSNBC, you know, to have a news show featuring Al Sharpton. Not that I'll be begging for him because really, um, Al, all Mr. Sharpton was doing was reading from a teleprompter. None of those thoughts were his own. Um, you could tell that he was reading and he was reading loudly. I, I think he might, you know, be losing some of his hearing the way that he was um, speaking loudly. And so, yeah, his shows is one of the ones that got cut. Um, I never watched Joy Reid because I don't really watch a whole lot of mainstream news propaganda anyway. But she was on she her show got cut from there. And I think a uh, um, couple of other their new shows of, of non-black people also got cut. So uh, they're doing a shakeup. And so I'll talk about that um, here in just a bit. But some of what is in the news, um, you may have seen the headline. If you are of a sensitive nature, I want to go ahead and apologize uh, for the title. Uh, but I do uh, tend to write or publish with sensational t titles because you know what because that's what grabs attention and then people can read all right that grabs their attention hopefully they are not one of those facebook title readers and think that they have telepathically or somehow uh through through some kind of power that they have able to deduce the content of an article by just reading a headline but the headline we know gets them that's why mainstream media practice it. And so I practice it too, because that what is the point? What is the point? Uh, you want people to read the information that you're putting out or the propaganda uh, that you're putting out. You want to interpret what they're getting from the mainstream news in a black perspective. So if you're a sensitive type person, sometimes, you know, you may be offended by my headlines, but they are pretty accurate in their description, in my opinion, they're pretty accurate. But, um, yeah, the title says that North Carolina's Bills for Blowjobs program has been deemed legal. 
And it means exactly uh, what it says. Um, we will, that'll be the first story that I'll jump on. Uh, but again, as I already mentioned, then we'll talk about MSNBC or you can listen to me talk about them. Um, uh, but we'll talk about that story about MSNBC doing the black purge. Yeah. Doing the black purge. Speaking of the purge, if you haven't seen that movie, the purge, and I do not on a regular basis, uh, recommend movies or anything coming out of Hollywood to people, but every once in a while, you'll get a gem. You know, you'll get you'll get a good film that comes out and explains things to you or have some kind of deeper meaning to it on a higher level. And so uh, The Purge, I do recommend The Purge. I recommend both the films, The Purge and The Purge 2. All right. Uh, I love those. I love that film because it really broke it down of what's going on. 21st century slavery, human trafficking, slave hunters hunting you down in the street, racist, trying to kill you. Yeah, accurate description, you know, uh, but it kind of points to where are we heading? That's the question that it asks. It, it paints a, a possible reality for America where they have purge day to keep down the population numbers, you know, and c- when they, um, when it seems their eugenics efforts and, you know, the abortions and the Depravera and all of that, when it's just taking too long, let's, hey, let's do a purge day. Let's do a purge. Make a holiday out of folks getting a stay out of jail free card uh, for killing people on a certain night. Uh, but, you know, the police were heavily engaged in hunting people down and gunning people down, purging people and that's a that's a reality that's a reality for black folks in this country uh first and foremost that is a reality for hispanic folks that is a reality for indigenous folks american indians uh that is a reality for the pacific islanders the atlantic islanders because the united states has many territories uh that it occupies and holds as colonies so yeah that's happening uh right now uh, speaking of Al Sharpton, uh, this, I have written about this guy before, a uh, racist suspect, James O'Keefe. Y'all remember he made the, he was, uh, his claim to fame or how he got in the mainstream spotlight was when he, uh, recorded, he went to an Acorn office, a Acorn office, which is a nonprofit that worked with people in housing, obtaining housing. And I think they do much more than that. Um, we actually interviewed, I think, one of the former um, members that had caught some mainstream attention for something incorrect she did. But she was a former guest on this program, a non-white person, a black female. Um, but, yeah, so that's how James O'Keefe uh, got into the mainstream spotlight. Uh, what's that dead guy's name? Uh, and uh, Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart, who had a heart attack. And he's dead, but Breitbart.com, anybody that knows anything about right-wing uh, media, a uh, very racist source of propaganda uh, for white people. It, that's the demographic that it targets it, is white people. Got to pro- keep programming them uh, to be racist and, and among other things. But yeah, but he recently filmed um, from what the uh, promo said was members of the Brown family, members of the Garner family, um, as well as members of the, uh, what's the guy named, Gurley, that got shot in the uh, stairwell, and they just indicted that uh, Asian cop for uh, killing him. Uh, yeah, Gurley, I can't recall his first name right now. 
Um, but yeah, said, um, they didn't have nice things to say about Al Sharpton. And, you know, we have to be aware of people because there are things, there are tools that the racist white supremacists use such that are, that I call proxy racist. Okay. And what a proxy racist job is to do is to confuse black people about racism. That's their number one primary goal is to confuse black people about racism. Fox News employs a lot of that. I'll be playing a, a clip um, later on about uh, a recent segment that they did where they featured not one, um, actually one a black female was hosting the segment, but they had another black female and I think another non-white female. So uh, they were heavily using what Neely Fuller calls racial showcasing. And um, so those people's, are proxy tools of racism in the area of media propaganda, and they spread a lot of confusion. And uh, we'll break down some of that confusion. Now, John Legend's Oscar acceptance speech, we've been talking about that. I, I wrote about that. I hope you had an opportunity to uh, read my article uh, titled Oscars. John Legend mentions modern enslavement of black men in the USA. And, um, yeah, um, John Legend, he has been making a whole lot of news headlines, not so much as he has been, but what he said about America. Yeah, behind these enemy lines in this war zone where they practice slavery and all manner of evil against um, most of his people. Shout out to the 99%. But uh, John Legend's Oscar acceptance speech, uh, he did point out he didn't use the word modern slavery. He didn't call it slavery, but he used slavery in the same sentence as correctional control, meaning, you know, in a correctionals facility. And so um, they've been taking targets at him. Some of the articles have been taking targets with him, fact checking him. Uh, you will hear in the clip of the Fox News dude saying some of the stuff that John Legend said was untrue. And actually, he was telling the truth. So people just trying to take his comments apart. Uh, mostly white people um, have fact-checked it and uh, other articles have been written about it. And um, he uh, passes the muster. Again, information is readily available. You can do research and see, is he telling the truth or is he not telling the truth? Is he lying or is he confused? Is he ignorant or whatnot? So I definitely want to devote some time to that. If you, again, haven't had a chance to read the article because I uploaded the video, um, as well of his Oscar acceptance speech for the song Glory, which was in the movie Selma, uh, wrote, uh, playing during the credits. And so, um, it, I think it was a abolitionist moment as one of the commenters on the article called it a abolitionist moment. Definitely a abolitionist moment. All right. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and take a short break, and then when we come back, we will jump on this first story. Lobbyists in North Carolina can have sex with state legislators, and it's all quite all right. And that's according to the North Carolina uh, Ethics Commission. I think it's the Election Ethics Committee, whoever they uh, commission, whoever they have to report, you know, their gifts that they get from lobbyists. Well, you know, they don't have to report getting oral sex or even having full-on Monty, whatever they call it, you know, just getting it on, just all in. 
yeah, they don't have to report that on their, you know, when they had to say how much money a lobbyist gave them or a gift and how much that gift was worth. Yeah, that it's it's a trip. It's a very interesting story, and it just shows you the corruption that is going on in the legislative process. Want to get a bill passed? Well, you know, find out what the, what type of woman or man, I guess in some of their cases, find out what type of uh, um, person they are attracted to, and then you do a honeypot. Yeah, that's how you get your bills passed in North Carolina. All right, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed uh, during the first hour. If you have any commentary, any news to report that you want to get out there, that telephone number is 530-881-1400. And the access code, 549-032-POUND. If you're already in the conference line and you want to queue up to comment, uh, hit star six on your phone keypad and the number one. We will be right back after these messages. This is Brother Elliot, host of Time for an Awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. This was the beginning of the rise of Dr. Martin Luther King. Dr. King decided that in Montgomery, Alabama, black people had to pay the same prices on the buses as did white people, but we had to sit in the back. And we could only sit in the back if every available seat was taken by a white person. If a white person was standing, a black person could not sit. So Dr. King and his associates got together and said, this is inhuman. We will boycott your bus system. Now understand what a boycott is. A boycott is a passive act. It is the most passive political act that anyone can commit, a boycott. Because what the boycott was doing was simply saying, we will not ride your buses. No sort of antagonism. He was not even verbally violent. He was peaceful. Dr. King's policy was that nonviolence would achieve the gains for black people in the United States. His major assumption was that if you are nonviolent, if you suffer, your opponent will see your suffering and will be moved to change his heart. That's very good. He only made one fallacious assumption. In order for nonviolence to work, your opponent must have a conscience. The United States has none. Black Talk Radio News, Scotty Reed in on this mic behind these enemy lines called the United States of America and Kwame Touré 
was right. The brother was right. Look what they did. The king assassinated him. At least that's what a civil jury found in a lawsuit um, naming the United States government as, uh, you know, the ones uh, who uh, formulated the plot to assassinate uh, Dr. King. He isn't the only one that they that they had a role in killing, if not directly or even indirectly. Uh, Malcolm X, another, you know, people have been observing um, his assassination uh, on February the 21st. Uh, a lot of people were observing that day. And um, lots of lesser known people who aren't really as known, except for those who follow that sort of thing and keep up, you know, or do their studying of past movements, then, yeah, they know. But they also framed a whole lot of people, and they're still in prison to this day, you know, uh, framed for crimes that they did not commit. Uh, I don't even care if it involves shooting a police officer. Uh, if they did, in fact, shoot a police officer, that police officer was trying to kill them like they did Fred Hampton in Chicago, then they were well within their human rights to defend themselves against whoever. You know, just because you got a badge doesn't mean I'm just going to let you uh, gun me down and assassinate me. Uh, but before um, I jump on this first story about, you know, these uh, North Carolina state representatives and senators going buck wild in in my home state, uh, I'm going to go to the phone lines. We got a caller from area code 717. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. This is Brother A.O., man, and I'm going to tell you, I caught the call. It's sad that black people don't realize how well they're being marketed to death. I mean, it's bad enough as we come got to come to the realization that 99% of you are asleep. But for them to literally have a stock meeting based on how many people they can incarcerate is oblivious to the understanding of the average black person. You do a serious job at what you do, brother. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been telling everybody I know about connecting with this network because literally Black Talk Radio is opening the minds of a lot of people who have been ignorant for a long time. I appreciate and, that. And, and, and I also have to also, you know, uh, give credit to those who have stuck with me and worked with me throughout the years without pay, I might, I might say. You know, we don't even we don't even generate enough budget to have a staff. So what you're what this network is doing is pure love for a community because people are putting in their personal time to do these programs. So I, I appreciate that you appreciate what's going into the, to this network. And not only that, brother, I mean, people have to understand that we are no longer citizens of a country. We are a marketable commodity. And if you listen to that, literally, that phone call woke me up. You're talking, just thought, for the listeners, excuse me for a moment, let me interject. Just for those who don't know what you're talking about, um, right prior to our me coming on air live, we were playing a, um, a previous broadcast, a pre-recorded broadcast, um, the Abolitionist Daily, and they were playing, um, we were broadcasting the earnings call, the fourth quarter earnings call for the GEO Group, the second largest private prison in slavery in the entire world. And, um, yeah, they were discussing all these folks as like cattle, commodities, slaves. And, you know, what really threw me off was people don't understand this is a international company. They, I was surprised, but they literally discussed 
business and different aspects of the world like they were reading a newspaper, like these people's lives have no content or value. Brother, I'm telling you something, man. It's sad when you come to the realization that they're not only trying to kill you, but they'll make as much money off of you as they can in the process. Yeah. And like... there are so many people out here who don't even consider the aspect that these people are not about pacifying them like they think, oh, I got a job, I got me a check, I can cover my costs. All you're doing is waiting your way, waiting to your turn. I say it, but that's what it comes down to. You're waiting for your turn and don't even know it. Yeah, like, but listen, um, man, I, I wanted to call you, let you know. I, I, I've been listening, but I, I'm going to get more active. And the reason why I'm going to get more active is because when I hear calls like this and I see the number of people who are opting out in the street, thinking they're achieving something and that they're really not achieving anything at all. It makes me realize the magnitude of work that needs to be done, brother. Well, we certainly are in this, in this, uh, fight cause it is a fight. It's a fight for our very lives. And, uh, like new abolitionist, uh, Max Parthas says, you know, every time a person is arrested, uh, coins start flying out of their behinds like there's some kind of goose laying eggs golden eggs you know but that is exactly what it is and that's why you see Absolutely. so many people being arrested for victimless non-violent uh so-called crimes and you know what what else it gets me is that even to that extent but even in death they're making profit off of us if you listen to the last hidden color they, they go into detail talking about how their profit profiting off of the organs and yes. giving the families nothing but a shell that they got to pay a fortune to bury. It's yep. sad, man. It is. It is sad, but look, you keep doing what you're doing, man. I'm going to tell you, I can't tell you. I'm going to be listening every day, but it will be part of my repertoire. I'm not a television person, and I, I like to do extensive reading, but I mean, at this stage of the game, you're giving me information that all I got to do is sit back and contemplate and put into my repertoire of literal arguments to make because black people just don't understand. They just don't understand. When the, when the guy was saying we got 10,000, 5,000 beds and 7,000 beds and 1,500 beds, they talking about people, mm-hmm. literally bodies. I mean, us, they talk about them. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, that's a wake up call to me, brother. And I'll, I'll be calling back. I'll be calling back. My name is Ayo, and uh, you keep doing what you're doing, brother, and be blessed in it. And I uh, Hopefully, I'll see you somewhere on the path, and hopefully, it's not uh, what, what, what the Indians used to call the, the Trail of Tears. Hopefully, we can be at a point where we can see some joy together, brother. I appreciate that. I look forward to it. Peace and blessings to you. Peace, brother. Q&A is cleared. All right. Uh, we certainly appreciate um, that we, you know, somebody learned something. Uh, through listening to the broadcast that we do on on this network and i mean like he said they don't even call them people they call them beds they use industry jargon because slavery is an industry all right and, and so you know even in war you have to dehumanize your victim I'm, i did an interview with this guy nick terse uh i believe the name of the book was called kill anything that moves and so um in interviewing him about his book i learned that during the vietnam war that medics you know people that were uh helping uh wounded soldiers and and even in their training 
they were never allowed to uh, refer to the Vietnamese as Vietnamese even. You know, anything that was that would humanize them. And so that's why they were called derogatory uh, racial epithets like gook, uh, gink, whatever. You know, I don't, I'm not up on all the Asian epithets, but I know gook is one. But that was for a reason. That is to so that the soldier does not see his target as a human being, but as the enemy as a animal, as something that is uh, dispensable, that you just throw it away, get rid of it. And that's the way they talk about um, in the slave industry. They don't talk about people. They don't say heads. They say beds. We got 1,500 beds over here. We got another facility up here. We can hold about 2,500 up there. Um, you know, one of the callers on that call was saying, you know, uh, it seemed to me like he was talking about, well, why don't you just Throw up some barbed wire fences and some uh, tents, some tarps. You don't have to spend all this money on brick and mortar buildings and buying buildings. You can get down like management and training is getting down in uh, uh, Texas right now where you have a current slavery rebellion going um, uh, on among uh, immigrants who are being detained at two facilities, I think, down there um, in that area of Texas. I also wrote about that. So, uh, yeah, you can find those articles in the, in the blog section, but yeah, man, I'll tell you, they evil, man. Once you wake up again, if you got a conscience, you going you, it's no way you can be moved not to try to bring this stuff to an end cause it's evil and it uh, affects you and it affects your children. And so, I mean, you could be a Solomon Northrop, you know, like, like the brother was saying, be, you know, think you got it all good. Cause I got a job. I can make my car payment. I can make my mortgage payment. I can keep the lights on. I can even feed myself and clothe myself. Um, but you know, you go out into the world to do whatever and you could be a Solomon Northrop set up, locked up, making money for somebody else. You can be a Solomon Northrop. So yeah, don't let it sneak up on you. Um, yeah, let me jump to this. Um, let me jump to this story because I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, this is probably not the first time this has happened that sex has been used between lobbyists and government officials since probably, you know, they established the government or the corporation known as the United States of America. I have no doubt that this goes back hundreds of years, but they just never talk about it or people aren't paying attention when these things do come out. Of course, you know, most people know about Bill Clinton. They try to impeach him over that. Uh, but I don't think Monica Lewinsky was a lobbyist. I think she was just a starstruck young female who wanted to, you know, sex up the president. And uh, but I'm sure that lobbyists do this in the federal on the federal level and at the state level. So let me just tell you a little bit about this story that came out from one of the uh, North Carolina uh, publications called NewsObserver.com. Uh, NewsObserver.com. Uh, you can find this article I have linked, but it says sex between lobbyists and government officials who are covered under North Carolina's ethics laws does not constitute a gift that must be listed in disclosure reports. The state ethics commission said Friday consensual sexual relationships do not have monetary value and therefore are not reportable as gifts or reportable expenditures made for lobbying. For purposes of the lobbying laws, expenditure reporting provisions, the former advisor 
advisory opinion says. So this is a, a, an opinion. It was in response to um, questions from the Secretary of State's lobbying compliance director. His name is Joel Braun, it looks like, who wrote this in a letter uh, last December. And um, part of what, he, uh, what the opinion from this state ethics commission says you have asked whether consent in reply to Mr. Braun, you have asked whether consensual sexual favors or sexual acts between a lobbyist and a designated individual constitutes a gift or thing of value that would trigger the gift ban and reporting requirements. The opinion says so. So not only is the are these people on this ethics commission saying that lobbyists nor the politicians had to report that they had sex with somebody as part of a transaction between the two, which usually involves getting a bill passed, you know, getting them to sponsor a bill, co-sponsor or introduce a bill. That's what lobbyists do. All right. So not only do they not have to report it, but it's also not banned. Because, yeah, cause let's read it again. Let's pay attention to the words. You have asked whether consensual sexual favors or sexual acts. You know, sexual favor, that means that it, if it's a favor, it must have some kind of value to it. But yeah, between a lobbyist and a designated individual constitutes a gift or thing of value that would trigger the gift ban and reporting requirements. So obviously they have a list of banned gifts and sex. Sexual acts and sexual favors are not on that list. That's how they getting down. That's how, and I'm sure it is going on. I am not naive to believe that this is like an anomaly, that this is something that's just happening or unique to the state of North Carolina. Come on, y'all. Be for real. Be for real. These, this is how the enemy gets down. This is how part of the way the enemy gets what he wants. So I don't know. Can you flip the script on that? I mean, this is, um, it's rather sad. It's rather disgusting. And I would say it's rather illegal as well. When you consider the fact that in North Carolina, they can arrest you. And I have seen a person charged in court, seen a person charged in court for cohabitating with a member of the opposite sex and they weren't married. That's a law that's still on the book. Man, they got laws on the books going back to the 1800s, uh, probably the 1700s. Who knows once you dig into their expansive law libraries, what's on the books? But that's a law in North Carolina. And also, you know, sex. They could technically arrest you for having unmarried sex in the state of North Carolina. It's a law still, but it's just not enforced or prosecuted. So, but I can guarantee you, that plenty of people, males and females both, have been arrested, prosecuted, and convicted, and currently serving prison slave time on a prison plantation here in North Carolina for a charge of prostitution. What is prostitution? I, you give me some money, and I will do you a sexual favor. We will commit a sexual act together. That is the uh, agreement between us two con uh, consenting adults. And some people are even asking, and again, this is a state ethics commission. This isn't a legislative body. They're just 
um, their primary role is to to regulate what happens between, you know, what politicians are allegedly allowed to do and allegedly not to do. You know, what can be enforced, what can't be enforced. I imagine they do investigations as well if there are some improprieties alleged. So it sounds to me like Mr. Braun might have heard about something, but oh yeah. Oh, Tom Tillis, the current senator who was the um House uh speaker for North Carolina House in um of course here in North Carolina. He's the uh, current U.S. senator, one of them, um, but two of his staffers, he fired two of his staffers who got into um, sexual favors and acts with lobbyists, people they were working with. Could have been from the GO group, could have been from Wells Fargo, bankers, who knows who it was. But apparently, you know, um, people are exchanging sex in order to advance bills which then become laws in this country this is um again if i was a person um that was uh incarcerated for prostitution man i'll be on the horn to a lawyer or something you need to release me you need to get me out of here if you're not prosecuting the state legislatures from having sex with the prostitutes of corporations lobbyists who are giving giving sexual favors and committing sexual acts on people, then, you know, it's not right. I can't say it any plainer than that. That's injustice. That's not right. And that should not be. So uh, lots of hypocrisy going on. And this, again, they got separate laws on the books or, you know, two books. If you do this and you're a politician, yeah, we got to come after you for that, buddy. But if you do this and you're a person, you know, like have sex in exchange for whatever on the street, you're going to prison. But politicians, yeah, in North Carolina, they can exchange sexual favors. So, wow. Yeah, let me move on for that. But I tell you, man, that's what's going on. Just think about that. You think that if, if the uh people ain't got a problem with, investing in and running private prisons in this company in this country or in this world globally if they ain't got a problem with enslaving other human beings and making coins fly out of their behinds making you know wringing profit out of them while denying them some of the most basic human rights needs you know then don't tell me they will have a problem with paying a lobbyist lots of money to go and have sex with politicians to get bills passed so that more people will be incarcerated or let's not do immigration reform because then that's 9 million potential uh, customers as they would call them customers 9 million illegal immigrants who might be our future customers if we if we allow them to come out of the shadows as they say then, man, we, we're losing out a whole lot of money. Right now, we're good to go. As many as they can catch and we can hold, we're good. So we don't want no comprehensive immigration reform. We want to keep, you know, enslaving these immigrants coming here, these undocumented immigrants, thinking they coming to the land of opportunity, liberty and justice for all, and getting enslaved. Yeah. Let's talk about, um, real quick, 
MSNBC is doing a black purge. Now, this goes again back to technology today. If I watch clips of MSNBC, I understand you probably can watch MSNBC live online. The same thing is coming through the TV. All right. And so if they can do it, how come we can't do it? And so before I jump into this story, I just want to say I am not one of those persons that like to complain about showcase black people on network television losing the show. Because I don't watch it that much anyway. I only watch it for research purposes, if I watch it at all. All right. Now, so let me close up some of this stuff on this page that's popping up on political. What is this? Political us? Politic us? USA.com. That's what it is. Politic us? USA.com. So, you know, I'm not one because I know the technology. I know how to, how it works. I know what it takes. Man, you could be streaming just internet only. You don't have to be on their TV. You know, I interviewed a black person, um, I can't, Madeline, uh, Gills, something, and the product was called the G5, but it was a black company, black invention, where all you do is get this, um, converter or something that you put on your, your computer, and then you streaming up black television network. Now, I don't, I haven't talked to her, Madeline Gills, I think, Long Gills, I think is her name. Haven't talked to her in a few years. Haven't really heard about G5 catching on. But the technology exists. And instead of us, you know, investing in companies like that or buying their services and products, you know, we let them go under. And then we cry and whine and moan and complain that we don't have no black people on white people TV. That only made sense right there. That's white people TV as H. Rap Brown called it. That's white people TV. White people with an agenda. Corporations to be more specific since, you know, Supreme Court says they're people too. And those are people with an agenda. And all of these corporations are intertwined. Going back to prison slavery. You, it is, I, I dare you to try to find a telecommunications company, whether they're providing your internet, whether they're providing your phone service, cell phone service, wireless service, whatever. Try to find one that's not using prison slave labor in some form or, or fashion, in some capacity. All right. Try doing it. Now, getting back to this story. Reverend Sharpton is losing his show. I don't know who Ronan Farrow is. I think that's a that's a white person, but I certainly know that Joy Reid is a black person. I'm, you know, passing the TV, saw her on a couple of times. Um, I'm usually in here working at this time, though, um, so I'm not really watching TV uh, or trying to catch some news or something of that nature. So she is, uh, she has lost her show. Um, now it's being reported as of yesterday, or at least a few days ago, actually. Um, that Al Sharpton is uh, losing his program as well. So it says that there is a move away from liberal hosts, and it would likely mean that Ed Schultz, Al Sharpton, Chris Hayes, and Lawrence O'Donnell will all be gone. Rachel Maddow will move up to 8 p.m., and the rest of the night would be, would be a to-be-determined question Mark, last year it was reported that the network views Morning Joe Harbaugh and the Rachel Maddow show as their three 
keepers. I don't even like Carball. That's with Chris Matthews, I think. That dude is definitely a racist suspect. Um, he, I have heard lots of racist things come out of his mouth, but he's slick with it. He's very seasoned pro, uh, very refined in, in his racist propaganda. Morning Joe, I never really heard anything, never watched it. Uh, but I have heard, you know, some crazy stuff, um, talked about or written about that was said on there. So, yeah. So if they're moving away from liberal hosts, that means that, you know, they are moving towards right wing. And right wing is a a big problem because it involves, it's not just right wing, it's fascism. That is where the corporations who are people now, you know, pretty much dictate, you know, what um, policy is, domestic policy. Let me put it simply, that how they are going to rule you, the government ruling you. So looks like, you know, getting ready to get a heavy dose a fascist propaganda from MSNBC. All right, so uh, yeah, Al Sharpton's gone. Uh, that's been confirmed, and uh, Joy Reid is gone, and I think they got Melissa's Harris Perry. Now, this article does not mention Melissa's Harry Harris Perry, um, who I think has a white parent, so she might be safe. Um, but yeah, they don't mention her. But Al Sharpton's gone. But again, Al Sharpton's not really a big loss because we don't know, you know, well, we know the producers were uh, putting those words in his mouth because basically all he was doing was reading a teleprompter. You could tell he was staring at the screen. He hadn't quite mastered, you know, looking away from the screen and being, you know, more natural, um, but like he's looking at a screen and just reading it. And so that's not really a big loss. Um, I do, you would get, uh, reports of police br- uh, brutality, violence. You would get uh, interviews from people that you wouldn't really see interviews. So, yeah, I mean, I don't want to act like it didn't have any value, okay? It had some value, but in terms of being a, a strong black propaganda outlet, no, pretty much like, you know, a uh, infomercial for the Democratic Party. You know, let's not forget Reverend Sharpton is a member of the Democratic Party, once ran for president. Um, yeah, y'all forgot about that. And, um, so yeah, that is really just recruitment. Those type of shows are recruitment for the Democratic Party. Look, these news programming, it's either doing one or two things. It's either recruiting you to be a Democrat or it's recruiting you to become a Republican. And if my opinion matters, you should be neither unless you're doing it uh, strategically just to vote in primaries in your state because, you know, you want to uh, get the less radical or the less uh, racist candidate coming out of the Republican Party and whatnot. So, you know, you might can prevent somebody from getting on the general ballot, if unless you're using it strategically like that. But period, you shouldn't have any allegiance to any kind a political party and you should be voting for any third party candidate that's on the ballot just simply so you can start having third parties on the ballot in your state because that's how it works. If a third party uh, candidate attracts a certain number of votes, then uh, that third party will always be included uh, on future uh, ballots. And so we definitely uh, would like to see that because it throws confusion into their system. All right. in their way of doing things by, you know, two parties playing people against one another. 
And um, both of them work behind the scenes together, especially in terms of foreign policy and uh, practicing American imperialism. All right, I do want to take a short break again. During the second hour of the program, we will be speaking with uh, Mr. Marlon L. Adams of culturalgrassroots.com about black crowdfunding. Uh, they are celebrating their one-year anniversary for that platform. Um, he wrote, I assume he wrote an article. Um, it doesn't have uh, the author title, but the article was published on that website recently on, on February 15th crowdfunding the dream in 2015 and is you know making a reference to martin luther king and certainly uh martin luther king jr as well as malcolm x as well as many 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 other ancestors did um preach and practice where they could black uh economic empowerment so yeah we're looking forward to speaking to him he'll be joining us here in just about eight minutes let me make sure the studio line will be open to receive his call um i will check the phone lines uh again before we come up um but yeah let me play this real quick speaking of al sharpton like i state in the promo james o'keefe racist suspect known for his acorn videos where he was dressed in like a little pimp or something in there with a prostitute you know his hoe as they call it in corporate hip-hop um, but yeah, and, uh, then he edited the video, edited the video, uh, to make it seem like they were saying things that they weren't saying. He got exposed and all that. But now he's, he's still in what he calls the guerrilla media game. All right. Uh, using media to produce propaganda. So he still has this operation going on, even after, you know, his mentor, uh, Andrew Breitbart became worm food. Um, but yeah, he's still doing his thing. And so I haven't even watched this, but he does have these people speaking on camera and they are not speaking, um, in favorable terms about Al Sharpton. And I tell people personally, you know, if person telling you to pay $5,000 for their travel expenses and, and hotel stays and paying for their food and stuff like that and, and, you know, only uh paying for the funeral because they expect you to give a contribution in return to their organization, then they're not doing, it's not coming from the heart. That activism is not from the heart. And a lot of people, I know these things cost money, but damn it, when you, your organization is taking money from Wells Fargo, um, Bank of America, and corporations engaged in not only 21st uh, century slavery and human trafficking, but exploiting black people in every way imaginable, including practicing racism in so many different forms, housing, lending, just all this and that. How can you take money from them and think that I'm supposed to believe that I can trust you to be about the people's business? And so these families, some of these family members um, have been, Quoted as saying some stuff. All right, so uh, let me play that. Cue that up. I think we got uh, about five minutes before Mr. Adams joins us. Okay, looks like it is opening up. Did I get that link wrong? Okay, I know I saved it in my bookmark, so y'all uh, bear with me. And that would be Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, families, Michael Browns. And I'm, I'm reading from it. Uh, Erica Gardner is saying that he's all about his money. So let me see if um, the video 
will load up. If we can't get to it before our interview, we'll certainly uh, cover this. But um, he just released this actually yesterday. Um, the the New York Times is even set uh, calling him a best-selling author. James O'Keefe released a powerful new video today showing how the families and the attorneys of Eric Gardner, Trayvon Martin, and Michael Brown really feel about Al Sharpton. And this is not to help them pal on Al Sharpton, but it is to uh, lessen the effectiveness of proxy racist tools to people that we know that's what they're doing. The, the evidence, we don't need white people to tell us this. And certainly people for decades have been saying Al Sharpton ain't really bout it, bout it like he say he is. So, yeah, let, let me see if I cue this up. You know, when you got when you got a fuse that's already lit, you don't need to add no more fire to it. Knowing their history, uh, it's about money. No justice, no justice, no peace, no Who is Al Sharpton? Baptist minister, television personality, charlatan, race baiter? Project Veritas decided to investigate Sharpton and talk with the people he claims he is trying to help. Their verdict? Sharpton is more sinner than saint. I'm minding my business. Please just leave me alone. I told you the last time. Please just leave me alone. Put your hand behind your Who's your father? Yeah, that was my father. I'm his oldest child. So what, you think Al Sharpton um, is kind of like a crook in a sense? Like, you think he's like... Al Sharpton seems to always find a cause, and lately he has shown up at a lot of funerals. In fact, his organization, NAN, the National Action Network, often pays for them. It affords him center stage in the circus of a controversy. We got to be here for the long haul. Michael Brown does not want to be remembered for a riot. As Ferguson, Missouri heated up in the days after Michael Brown's death, Sharpton met with community leaders. Bishop Calvin Scott was troubled by what he heard. I frankly was in one of his, uh, I mean more than one, um, several, a couple of meetings, two or three meetings that he was in, and I, I think to some degree he sort of, incites people for the wrong reason you know i just i just you know i'm in the, i'm in the gathering he got them all fired up but i just sense that this is not the way you want to go you know when you got when you got a fuse that's already lit you don't need to add no more fire to it two years ago sharpton took on the cause of trayvon martin daryl parks is a lawyer who represented both the families of trayvon martin and michael brown he has known and worked with Sharpton for years. But Sharpton is all about his money. And there may be a little truth to that. That's the only truth I'll admit to. The daughter of Eric Gardner, the religious community in Ferguson, and a prominent lawyer for the Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown families believe they know who the real Al Sharpton is, and they are not alone. I just try to keep my money away from him. I don't blame you. Yeah. I certainly don't blame you. Um, you got the administrative fees and the administrative course, you got all this. Yeah. You know, this 
Earlier this month, we found a photo. Okay, we are going to stop it there. Um, again, if you are not codified, you have to uh, listen for or be um, conscious of the anti-blackness that you will hear coming from these racist suspects. But take the information for what it is. I do believe some of these uh, videos, which is how this guy gets down. Uh, what's his name again? Um, this is how he gets down. James O'Keefe. If some of those were on hidden cameras, but they said what they said. Whether they knew what, what they were being recorded or not. And, you know, so I, I just think, you know, um, it's time that we allow new leadership, particularly younger leadership, to move front and center stage. And it's time for Al Sharpton to retire. It's time for him to retire. But for them to say that, you know, I've never seen, though, Al Sharpton. I do want to disagree with one point. Al Sharpton does not pour fire or gasoline on the flames he does not make it worse no he he does come in to calm it down which is what the system wants him to do keep these folks non-violent spending money on poster boards and, and sticks and stuff and and wearing out shoes see that's what the system wants you to do okay it wants you to do that and then you know but them calling it like a circus that you know you saying that uh, black people being upset and, and the um, environment that comes out of that is a circus. You know, no, it's not a circus. No, it's not a circus. It's, it's, it's murder. It is genocide. All right. And, and people get upset about it and they want to do something about it. And it's not just one incident, but it's two, it's three, it's four, it's five. To the point that, you know, you got over a thousand people a year being shot and killed by cops here in the United States. And you're not going to tell me every last single one was justified because I'm not, I'm just simply not going to believe that we have seen evidence and know that, uh, you know, shooting people in the back while they're running away, just all kind of manner of evil. So no, we're not falling for that. So, but um, yeah, it, it is time that black people, in general, the black masses allow Sharpton to go. You know, maybe he will go out gracefully, bow out gracefully, not make a whole lot of noise or burn bridges or anything, make a scene or anything like that. You know, as um, maybe, you know, him losing his show. He, But I, I seriously doubt it. But see, you know, we have to quit allowing people. We need what we call grassroots leadership where people who live in those states. That's how it was really organized back in the sixties. Okay. Yeah. You had organizers come from out of town, but they weren't making no decisions. They weren't leading the movements cause they don't live there. It had to be a local person. All they do was like facilitate and assist with organizing. They're not the ones getting up in front of the cameras to give press conferences and, and speak. No, these are community issues. They needs to be handled by that community. It's okay to lend assistance, but you are not down there to lead. How can you be a lead, a community leader in a community that you don't live in? And so I ha I think that, you know, the system has used him as a tool to prevent the development of grassroots. Uh, new leaders who may not be tainted by the system who may not be in bed with either of the political parties which again is just an, you know another extension 
of the system. So, yeah, um, that's all I'm trying to say about Al Sharpton. Yes, they do call him nigger. Yeah, they do blame him for stuff that they re he really does. You know, racists can't blame him for doing. But he also serves as a scapegoat for them, too, or or really, you know, a way to inflame racist white people is mention Al Sharpton. Oh, Al Sharpton put mention him in the same name of a victim. Of a police killing automatically. <laughs> That's probably 75 percent of the country of white people that's automatically against it oh that cop is innocent let's start a crowd funding <laughs> you know uh fund for him let's let's send him a lot of money let's send darren wilson a lot of money because al sharpton's down there and so you know we got to show our support for the opposite of al sharpton so yeah yeah he he does inflame uh situations and he, ser he serves many facets for the system. And I just wish he would retire. I just really wish he would retire. That's the nicest way. I'm not going to call him out his name. I'm not going to say this and that. I'm just simply going to state the facts. And it's up to you as the listener to judge whether or not, you know, this man is um, a victim of the system or a victim of the system who doesn't, who gets compensated very well to victimize others. So, you know, I just can't, I can't overlook that, you know, can't ignore weapons of warfare in a war. That's why, you know, some people, people say they use children, strap bombs to children because yeah, you, surely you won't kill a child and all this and that. And then, so that's how we kill you. We'll even sacrifice our children. So, yeah. Um, let me send, uh, Mr. Adams a text message or email and see um, why he's not able to get through. Let me check the phone lines, make sure he didn't call into the wrong number. Uh, just emailed him about an hour or so ago. So we definitely want to talk about this crowdfunding the dream in 2015. And I'll get to the rest of this news because I think John Legend's Oscar acceptance speech was, um, I, thought, I thought it was an abolitionist moment. I can't describe it any better than that as one of the uh, readers on BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com left a comment saying that uh, his speech was an abolitionist moment. I certainly agree with that. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News with Scotty Reed, uh, broadcasting Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays right here on the Black Talk Radio Network at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, usually running about two hours. I do want to apologize. I uh, had some a family matter come up yesterday. That's why I wasn't on the air. Um, as well as I want to extend, you know, apologies from David Wren to the listening audience as uh, Thando radio show was not on air yesterday and he won't be on air today because uh, one of, one of uh, his friends, dear close friend, is uh, battling cancer and he needs to assist that person. Um, at this time. And so, uh, they'll be back on the air. I think he said on Wednesday, that will be, no, that might be Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday, I think he said he will, no, Wednesday. Wednesday, he'll be back on the air. All right. We will be right back on the other side as we try to, to uh, reach Mr. Adams and, uh, get him on the program. This is Monroe, North Carolina. The town where local NAACP president, 
Robert Williams created headlines when he said, Sometimes violence must be met with violence. Many asked why. You know, we do whatever we do to survive. Drop it! Some of the people who had thought that it would be better to settle these cases violently, uh, I had been able to persuade them that we should use the courts and go into the courts. So this thing had, uh, had boomerangs. And uh, I was being uh, held responsible for having brought these cases to court. There was a trial where a Negro maid had been kicked down a flight of stairs uh, by a white man. And that uh, this man hadn't even bothered to come to his own trial. And that he had, uh, he had also uh, been uh, acquitted. And uh, there was a demonstration as a result of this in uh, the courtroom by the Negro women of the community. And uh, they had approached me and uh, had said, well, you said that you would see that these people would be punished because uh, through the organization we would have competent counsel and uh, that if it hadn't been for you that these people would have been punished. And uh, they wanted to know what I would recommend that they do from then on. And so I recommended that, that they meet violence with violence, that uh, Negroes must be prepared to repulse attack, that they must be willing to fight, that they must be willing to die and to kill if necessary, that uh, there was no law and no 14th Amendment uh, to the United States Constitution of equal protection in the South, and that therefore they didn't have any deterrent, so they would have to create the, the, the deterrent force themselves by meeting violence with life. to move to control our community. Everything that's in your community that you don't control is a weapon against you. Public education as it exists today is a weapon against black people. TV and news media, especially the WPP, white power press, white people's paper, and white people's power are enemies against black people. Now, what the white press does is that it makes black people an enemy of black people. Gentlemen, what brings me to my next point, don't smoke crack. At the very same time that America refused to give the Negro any land, through an act of Congress, our government was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that it was willing to undergird its white peasants from Europe with an economic floor. But not only did they give the land, they built land-grant colleges with government money to teach them how to farm. Not only that, they provided county agents to further their expertise in farming. Not only that, they provided low interest rates in order that they could mechanize their farms, 
Not only that, today many of these people are receiving millions of dollars in federal subsidies not to farm, and they are the very people telling the black man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. This is what we are faced with, and this is the reality. Now, when we come to Washington in this campaign, we are coming to get our check. Uh, I got y'all. Welcome back to Black Talk Radio uh, News with Scotty Reed. Uh, we're going to attempt to call to to Mr. Adams, and uh, if we can't reach him, we will shoes, move on. Stories you never hear on your nightly news. They oh, go to a see. teacher that has reached tenure. They ain't oh, worried about kids. They just waiting no dinner. But they splurge money on the splendor of all these sports rides. No child left behind. Although they cannot read nor write, peep the lessons. If the kids don't have the vernacular to express themselves, all they have to fall back on is aggression. The power of literacy is literally the keys of freedom. But the school system don't feed them. They just oversee them. There's a zero tolerance pipeline to the 13th Amendment. Slavery is abolished unless your child is convicted. But another problem that arises. When it comes to stopping this, the buildings are empty when it's time for these All right, Mr. Adams, do we, we have revolutionary. you? We are reactionary when it comes down to our seeds. And that's Mr. Adams. Scary. My mom used to pop in my class and know I couldn't stand it. Uh, can you hear me, Mr. Adams? It's the reason why I'm still standing. Because we certainly can't hear you, sir. The description, although my nose will always clean. Mr. Adams. Okay, give me just a moment, sir. I see the problem. All right, let's try it again. Mr. Adams, do we have you, sir? Yes, I hear you. All right, great, great, great. Uh, we thought we were going to miss speaking with you today, so I'm glad you. Uh, oh, I um, I, I messed up because you and I talked. It's said five ten, and I and I'm thinking, oh, because it's it's five. So uh, you know, we got we here. We here. That's that's all that matter. Congratulations are in order. Um, one year, one year, uh, that the cultural grassroots uh black crowdfunding uh program or platform has been online uh for those who maybe didn't catch your last interview and um didn't hear at the beginning of the program as, as i gave them a little bit of your history of your bio uh tell people mr adams uh, a little bit about your background and what what cultural grassroots is about and again congratulations on one year in existence yeah well thanks scott um you were i think your show was one of the first or second interviews that we did when we debuted the the, the, the site back in um, 2014. CulturalGrassroots.com is a, is a crowdfunding proposition. It's a proposition to cultural grassroots amongst us out there, people who are who recognize the, the power and the ability to ascribe value to our good services and ideas and take that power to build an infrastructure of self-sufficiency out of that. For crowdfunding, uh, this new phenomena, uh, actually the new mechanism, which is the Internet, um, has taken an old phenomena of people just kind of chipping in around issues and things that were had uh, a lot of like-minded people attract, attracted to. Um, now that thing has been kickstarted, as you know, with, with, with the, the Internet and, since 2009, um, it has just blown up. Um, the, the biggest name in the business is Kickstarter, and then there's a few others that are coming up close behind to 
that's got the big daddy and the one that's generating all of the big news and the big stories about um, all the good goods, services, and ideas that are getting funded by the crowd. So we're here um, trying to uh, trying to really, you know, spread the word, man. Spread the word about the opportunity. Spread the word about the possibilities. Um. Yes. Uh. Kickstarter. Uh, GoFundMe, which made, um, I think it was GoFundMe. Yes, it was GoFundMe that got a whole lot of negative publicity because they would not shut down the uh, retirement fund that was set up for Darren Wilson or the reward fund for uh, gunning down Michael Brown, with however people want to look at it. But, yeah, uh, that site on GoFundMe, and, of course, these sites do take a percentage of the fees, um, so they weren't going to turn down that money. Their cut of the money, and so they allowed that uh, crowdfunding for his retirement to continue. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of platforms out there. I think there's over 800 in the United States alone. 800? Uh, the UK is really leading the way in, in setting up standards and procedures for um, this crowdfunding space. Um, and particularly as they move into equity crowdfunding for the for the common man, um, they're they're blazing trails there too. Um, and so you're going to have a lot of sites out there, and there are a lot of causes. Um, it's called stratification. It's going to break down in terms of what people's interests are, what what people's uh, sort of nomenclatures are. It's not it's not unusual that things uh, socially that. Um, um, people, like-minded people begin to gather in groups and in different, different routines. And, you know, it's, I think it's, it's a natural, it's a natural, it's a natural thing. It's a natural human way of interacting and, and, and relating and, and, and actually getting things done. So, you know, cultural grassroots being the black play, if you will. And this has turned out to be quite, uh, an educational, um, foray. <laughs> Uh, as it relates to identifying, understanding, and identifying black folks, our people, and the psychology of oppression, if you will. I'm not going to get, you know, uh, too deep into it, but, you know, you got to, uh, I mean, as I say, people with a self-centered historical view of the world, right, understand, you know, the, the, the term the psychology of oppression, because it's not just about black folks, but, you know, certainly we, from our own perspective, that's what we're trying to understand. And but, but it's about the it's about the psychology of the oppressed. The oppressed has always come from you know the the, the, the process of conquest, right? That's what, that's what the world is about. That's, a, that's how the world's gone forward. It's been conquest and by the, the strong eat the weak and so on and so forth. So it's not new. It's not particular to black folks. So there's a long history of the, what that, how that plays out and on peoples and, and their, their psychology so, and so, how people, you know. So, Mr. So Adams, how? The really, really is, is coming out in terms of how we get by it, by some of the, some of the roadblocks. And, you know, we think of it in America as black folks, we, we might think of it as, you know, the three types of black people, you know, the person who worked in the house, the person who worked in the fields, and the person who actually, you know, really, um, who had gotten away, you know, the runaway, the guy who was always on edge trying to get away, the, the, the person who works in the field who basically come to term 
the terms with the enslavement in some ways, but were in some ways, you know, um, enjoying a different, you know, experience. experience. <laughs> yeah, having a different experience. That, and one in which it necessarily makes it as urgent to him as it did to the person in the field. Not necessarily, but, you know, generally speaking. You know, um, this is what you have. You, you have a, so these are, that's part of that whole psychology of oppression um, that we are, we actively deal with now today. If you look on the site, I, I just in the blog, I, um, there was a couple, there's a new article up there, Crowdfunding in the Dream in 2015. And, you know, I talk about, one of the pool posts is, is, is about, um, and I'm sure you've heard this before, um, that, you know, it's this whole notion that, Anything that's black-led for black people um, is, is looked at as some sort of negative thing, you know, some sort of some sort of a separatist movement, right? Anti-blackness, kind of or something. I'm sure you've probably heard it yourself. Oh yes, so, yes. When we named this show Black Talk Radio. <laughs> Yeah, lots of white folks on Blog Talk Radio said, "Oh, they're racist." Look at that name, Black Talk Radio. Right, right. It's like, it's like, are you kidding me? So, I mean, so like I said, black folks with this self-centered historical view of the world, we don't, we dismiss that kind of stuff out of hand. But apparently, um, in 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 our body politic, it's bigger than we than than I suspect. You know, I looked. Uh, and on, in that same article that's on the site, um, Crowdfunding the Dream in 2015 at, at uh, .com, um, I talk about, I, I mentioned, and I, there's a link to an article that talked about the whole black crowdfunding space, and they were focusing on a particular guy and his, and his efforts, because he's been, you know, one of the cats without fun. But the bottom line is, is that um, all of the efforts that come into the black space have come and gone. And most of them within less than a year. Um, the particular uh, articles talking about how you know this black um, entrepreneur is trying to uh, trying to empower black people, but he's broke. You know that kind of kind of sarcasm that um, it's just kind of um, it's, you know, it's very discouraging to, to hear. You know, oh, you know this whole notion that he tried, he failed, but the point is that and 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 it painted the whole effort. Such negative terms, you know, that this black guy would have going after black people, and 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 you know, he talked to black people who, who thought about whether or not we were being, you know, whether or not we we're opening ourselves up for being excluded, and so on and so forth. And I just, I just couldn't, you know, and I, and I, and I it was just enough. It was just too much to 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 consider that we still were struggling with this whole notion that. That we cannot look out for ourselves. Uh, let, no. uh, let me take this opportunity to interject because you said something earlier that I wanted you to expound upon, and that is, um, you said the psychology that you were talking about the psychology. How does that? That could you repeat that phrase you used again? Well, I, I was talking about the psychology of oppression. And psychology I think of oppression. Yes. How does that? In terms of crowdfunding, in terms of black people coming together, because we certainly have seen efforts like if you look at UNIA, you know, the organization that Marcus Garvey at one time led, you know, they definitely kind of crowdfunded uh, their organization. So in terms of how is it, I assume that this psychology of, of oppression is impacting us in the the cooperative economic um, 
realm, if you will, in a negative way. If that's so, how? How are you seeing that play out in black crowdfunding? Well, if we look at, um, if we take the whole body politic, just, just here in America as an example, and okay. we can talk about internationally, how it applies internationally. But right here in America, let's, let's break it down. Let's break down the body politic in America um, in, in, in terms of black folks in this country. Um, what we have, we're talking about this whole notion of being perceived as a, you know, a reverse racist or being part wanting to separate yourself from mainstream white society and somehow making you a racist if you're involved in some sort of black empower, black led black empowerment. Because you see lots of general market or uh, white philanthropic organizations leading efforts to reach black kids and help them get to school, help them read, help them do whatever. You know, there's all kinds of those efforts that are led by regular, you know, mainstream white philanthropic efforts. They, you know, that's what they do. That's their, that's their, you know, that's their prerogative. You know, if it's white people, they can do that. But black efforts, um, at this whole self-empowerment thing, it seems when that, when we are in the lead, Black people tend to look at uh, or, or be concerned about being associated with those efforts because they, if, if just by the off chance that it might offend the mainstream, that you're involved with some sort of thing that could possibly be called separatist, that it possibly could be called, you know, a reverse racism. It, 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 it's just on the possibility, off chance, that somebody was offended by you doing something that was so specific to, you know, your community. Um, that's part of that oppression thing where you, um, you you know, you're so concerned about what these, this other entity believes and thinks and about its impact on your life that you can't even look out for yourself, right? Or that's support what, other community efforts. And you know Malcolm talked Malcolm X, you know you know the the, the, little, the pithy little phrase you talking about how to you know our house is burning you know it, it, that's the point he's like he can't even look out for himself and and that's part of this whole psychology oppression that we've so so part of our body politic let's say the most creative let's say the most talented of our body politic um, those folks are at they, if you look at it rationally. They are probably the last group of people who want to be associated with anything that can be perceived as black only, as as helping or black led empowerment, trying to black people trying to do for self. That's the last group, the most talented, the most successful. That's the last group of our people that want to be associated with us exclusively, right? So that that means that's what percentage do you think that is? I don't know. What let's say it's twenty percent. Or whatever, it's like top 20%, right? These are the guys that get the top government jobs, they get, uh, they get to the corporate world, they're the top sports the athletes, they're the top entertainers, right? These are the people like, they, they, they've been going for excellence, they've been, their, their whole thing is pursue personal excellence because the prize at the end of the, at the end of the tunnel is, you know, here it is, this is what you get. Recognition, um, um, wealth, and status. And, and this is where, where, this is how you get to that. Now, getting there, and there's no other way to get there but through, you know, the mainstream. There is no association with black only anything that gets you to that level of accomplishment. So right now, right away, everybody who's striving for that level of accomplishment, accomplishment is no good to the body politic, as, as it were, because 
trying to get away from us, essentially. Not in a negative term, but there's nothing that we have that they're striving for. We don't own uh, NBA teams. We don't own the league. We're not league owners. We don't, we don't, we don't, uh, we're not, we're not running research institutes. We don't have universities that are hiring ten, and tenured professors. You know, we don't do any, we don't have no manufacturing operations. We have no trade organizations. We have none of that stuff where the best and the brightest can aspire to. So right away, boom, off the top of the, off the top, our top 20%, whatever, is gone. Right? And gone because we have nothing to offer. So, so now, what do we have left? Well, we've got the people in the middle, right? And the people in the middle can be broken down again. So, you half of the people in the middle, let's say half of them are aspiring to be this group of exceptionals, right? To the top 20%. And half of the middle is just trying to survive. <laughs> so, you got the aspirants and you got the half trying to survive. So, the aspirants take on the same characteristics as the exceptionals. They don't want to be bothered. So they see, oh, you know, you know what they're saying. You know what I'm saying? That's that's where they're coming from. That's where they're coming from. You know, they're mixed. They're knee deep in our in our neighborhoods, in our in in, in our organizations. But they're trying to get out, and they don't associate success and accomplishment with us. So now you got the 20 percent of your exceptionals who are gone, and then you got of the 40 percent of your of of your um say 40 to 60 40 to 50 percent. In the middle, right? So that's the 70%, and then we got 30% that are just, or 30 to 20% that are out. So, you know, whatever the numbers are, but roughly, say 20% down, uh, 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 and 60% in the middle, 20% at the top. If we break it down like that. So half of the 60% in the middle, 30% of them are trying to be down at the top. So that's 60% of people trying to be down at the top and get, so they don't want anything to do with us. Now we've got, 50% that has nothing nowhere else to go. So the bottom half, the middle, and then the 20 center down and out, ass out, which are, you know, what you're going to say about them, right? They're ass out. So, um, so it was, that's what we're left with. That's what we're left with. That's what we're left with. We're left with the, the bottom half of the middle. And what you find in the bottom half of the middle is um, a lot of the so-called black consciousness crowd. These are the people who are harking. If you look at their posts on social media, they're talking about, you know, they always got pictures of ancient kings and queens and da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. There's always ancient, too. I mean, that's the thing in the back. Let's go back, way back, you know. Uh, and, you know, there's the expert thing. Um, but that's, that's the full extent of what they're, they're after. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it feels... Um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, there, there's a, this element of bitterness there because, number one, you, you just know where to go, right? And so you, you're rejected by the mainstream, these people who are, who are taking your excellence and you see, you, so you don't have access to that, so you're a little bit, you know, uh, you have a, a relationship to the excellence the top 20 is, is tangential, right? And so you're a little bit bitter about that. So these people are really kind of like, uh, they're incapacitated. They're incapacitated by their, by their desire, um, by their inability to go to the top, but also but just by their, I think it's, I don't know what it is on the other side of it. maybe? I, why folks don't say, hey, this is what I am, this is what I'm doing, so this is what we're looking for on this, this, this 
automatically the thirty percent of the middle, which is thirty percent, and the twenty percent in the bottom, let them go. Because they're too easily co opted. Now, if they'll go along with something if you got it gone, but you can't be trusted when you're down that far out, right? So you basically have the thirty percent that is the bottom half of the thirty percent, and you're trying to woo some of the top half of the thirty percent of the sixty percent middle class, right? You're trying to woo some of them out of there. Because that is where, you know, our people this is where the smart, educated black folks are. Those are the black folks have gone to college, um, you know, they're probably, a lot of them have gone to um, white majority colleges, colleges with, you know, white majorities, very few, a lot of them, in some of them going to HBCs and all that. But a lot of those people, this is where we're trying to woo these people out of there. And those are the people who have so little maneuvering rooms. They they know, there's a lot of sympathy with the whole notion that, yeah, we got to be more competitive as a whole. You know, so that, our, so that our individuals have something that they can count on, right? Something that will back them up. If our whole is good, you know, individuals have us as their backup. They don't always have to go to the other guy's team to, to get on his team to get access. You know, they can get it through through us, right? Mm-hmm. So this we're struggling for. We're, we're trying to get to those people. So if you if, and I know it's long and convoluted the conversation, but bottom line, man, and and, and if you read the article on the, on the blog, the, 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 the you know, they talk more about this stuff. Yeah, I want to actually uh, touch upon another point, but I'm due for uh, my last break of the program, and we're going to take a short break and then come back, and I want to ask you about the uh, gender dynamics. And um, even if we just relegate that to the black community, you know, from what I'm reading here from that article, Crowdfunding the Dream in 2015, you know, um, there is a, a gender a division that's in the black community. And I, I have seen where, you know, a lot of external sources that are nurturing and instigating that division between black women and black men to where we're not supporting each other, regardless of gender. So we'll talk about that on the other side. Uh, you're listening to black talk radio news with Scotty Reed on the black talk radio network. We'll be right back. I think what you're trying to ask is, uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So, again, I think I've said this before in this same interview, I think uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For live programming schedules, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back. Black Talk Radio News. Scotty Reed in for this broadcast. Um, Mr. Adams, um, before the break, 
Um, there's a section of the article where you talk about this study of all Kickstarter projects, which you said is the most popular or at least gets the most publicity in, in the uh, mainstream media. But that there was a study of all Kickstarter projects led by women, gender dynamics and crowdfunding. And the sci- scientists used a custom built algorithm to identify all women-led projects and their contributors. What the study revealed is that women back women-led projects more frequently than do men and vice versa. So that's not just the women. That's that's men and women not supporting um, each other uh, based on, on a gender bias that has nothing to do with, you know, uh, us being black people. Do, oh, I'm sorry. I got you muted, sir. Let me unmute you. I got to remember that. All right. Uh, can you comment yeah. further on that? Well, the significance of that, I mean, why I use the uh, reference there is that it talks, to, it, it, talks, it identifies that trend of women being um, supporting projects that are led by women in a higher percentage than do men, right? So, Women are, say, so whatever the numbers are, women are above men in supporting projects that are led by women. It doesn't say that men don't support projects that are led by women. Right. The numbers are kind of close. It's not that deep. But the point, and what they come out of that with, is they call it, uh, a term they call taste-based discrimination. And the, the fact is, is that the whole study, and you can draw parallels between women, okay, and black folks, or any group, it's, it's talking about groups, of people, like-minded or uh, people with um, similar characteristics or similar trajectories, um, and, you know, and the fact that there are this whole notion of taste-based discrimination, discrimination is probably the wrong word. It's just what people identify with. That's all it is, right? It's like, what are you, how are you identifying? So women identify, what the study is saying, is that women identify with women who are leading projects, and men identify with men more readily than they do, and then, then they identify with uh, women, right, on the project. That doesn't mean they won't back a woman-led project that they really like. It just means that they, if there's two projects that are the same, they identify with the guy better, more more so. It's more likely to identify with the guy, you know. And so it's the same thing, but but and there's no study about black folks, but what I'm, what I'm my point in referencing is, is that it's not unusual, it is, it, it's normal human behavior to have taste, Based, meaning identifying with people who have similar likes, dislikes, taste, backgrounds, and trajectories. So it's not unusual. And, you know, it's, in fact, it's, it's, it's probably unusual that you don't identify with other black people. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right, but that, but you talk about that, though, about that uh, uh, psychology of oppression, and you mentioned in the article, though, that some people, you know, they it's either they're with them or they're with us. There's no in between and, and things of that nature and that they are seeking that white validation because they want access to them jobs. They want access to certain positions in government. And so therefore they are not going to be linked to associated with or, or, you know, uh, have anything to do with anything that is black centered. Yes. That's it. That's in a nutshell. We have a problem with, um, of being of the perception that the white folks have in, in, uh, have reinforced the notion that if you're doing something that is so-called black-led, that you're a separatist and you don't, and you're trying to you know and you're somehow um, exercising some kind of 
exercise and sort of reverse racism and that you're um, anti-social, essentially, and that black folks, as I said, particularly the ones we're talking about, and all of them really, don't really want to run that risk. They simply don't. Nobody will say that. I don't think people want to say that in the mirror outright. Some will say it. Certainly the top 20% will say it right out in your face, you know, uh, that, uh, oh, you know, they'll talk about, oh, the pool is, is bigger. Yeah, that's nice. We all know that a long time ago. We know that now as, as people talk and scramble for investment for different projects. And, and certainly I can tell you from my experience also that um, projects that are uh, – Entrepreneurs that are focused on the, the, the uplift and the increasing the competitiveness of their own community, particularly black folks, um, you won't have there, – there is not the same pool of investment dollars out there um, interested in those same things, right? So you, And those people who are, do tend to be interested in those, so tend to be other black people uh, who are interested in, in doing things that are really focused on increasing our competitiveness in a global economy. So we're not out – doing something that's obscure, right? We're distributing films of uh, three-dimensional images of the stories of black folks. That's not, you know, obscure, right? It's like mainstream stuff, but, you know, it's got, a, it's got its own particular competitive edge there. It's stories and, stories and images that you own and that you can tell, you can talk from, from experience, and that you should have some edge over anybody else trying to produce those stories and images for your community. So this is a very mainstream, very topical, very modern pursuit that we're talking about, in, you know, in terms of, you know, some of the things that we're strategic entrepreneurialism we always talk about, this is part of it, you know, images in the story is as strategic as you can possibly get right. in the 21st century in the world today, right? It is the foundation of society. It's how people live, how they know to live, how they aspire to live. Mm-hmm. Images in the story that they see every day. So if we don't take control of that apparatus, right? We are squandering a big opportunity to control the economy of our existence, right? Because our existence is what we're talking about when we say images and stories. There are images in our stories, and that's part, that's what we exist on. So this is um. So we have to. So my point in bringing up that whole article and about the gender study is that yo, know, it's natural to have taste-based discrimination. It's natural to be associated or be attracted to other black projects and other black project leaders that are doing projects that have an impact on, you know, your 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 community, okay, at large and, and, and beyond. It's natural to feel an affinity for that. People, it's natural. Stop running away from it. Stop, you know, we got to, you know, let's, we, it's there for us to do. And that's what's getting in our way with crowdfunding. Now, one of the... getting in our way. now, the other thing that's getting in our way is this whole strategic entrepreneurialism. Trying to be strategic about our entrepreneurialism. Well, and well Mr. That Adams, before you jump to that, before you jump to that, because that's further down in the article, you discussed that, but there's a section out of the article that I think I would like to highlight with you and get you to, um, you know, um, talk a little bit more about. But you... in uh, Paragraph out of the article says our individual successes in the white world are spectacular and their countries, cities and communities have benefited from these achievements. Think about Annie Easley, NASA scientist in the 1950s. We have done a good job of integrating into the fabric of civil society, but yet civil society is still producing vast, uh, desperate, uh, desperate uh, in racial life outcomes, our individual successes don't seem to impact this reality, despite our best individual uh, efforts. Are we talking about like where we celebrate, you know, 
Oprah as the black billionaire and just celebrate her just simply for being a black billionaire and whatnot, or, you know, other individuals uh, that aren't really engaged in any, any kind of community building efforts. Yeah. They give money to charities and things of that nature, but those charities are usually run led by, you know, non-black people. Um, so yeah. Um, is, can well, you talk a little bit more the about the that? that um, there is no question that anybody tells you, oh, we got to do education. Black people got to get smart. They're, they're lying to you and they're, they're trying to run from the problem. They're running from the real challenge that we have. Black folks in this country, we're as smart as anybody else in the country, right? Our intelligence is not. It doesn't coagulate and come out as black intelligence because it's, it's dispersed into mainstream white society. Because these, well, are, our working for- our top, these are our top 20%. Uh, uh, the people of the exceptional people who are have integrated out and done good things and risen to the tops of their fields in various ways, and black folks as a community have nothing for these people to do for them. There's nothing that they can do for us but give us some remittances from their personal checks, which, as you know, any country just depending on remittances from their people who have left the country, right, is a poor country and it has no chance of ever, you know, getting rich or getting uh, more uh, self-sufficient because they're depending on remittances. It's a nowhere game. You can't win depending on remittances, right? So that's what, that's what we're, we're reduced to. We have a community of people. We have done the best we can do in this country and in the white Western world. And we have, our communities have not benefited from those successes. And reason being is because we don't have an infrastructure to absorb those, that, those, their excellence. We just don't have an infrastructure. Like I said, we don't own a, 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 a baseball league. We don't yeah, own yeah, it. Yeah, but in, like you uh, mentioned earlier, though, you mentioned the Internet. Like, okay, let's go to a recent news item that I shared on today's program. You got Joy Reid and Al Sharpton setting any personal opinions aside about those people as individuals. But let's just say you got a black purge of black TV hosts going on at um, MSNBC. Um, there was a commenter that came on Al Sharpton. Her name was Goldie. I, I can't remember her last name, but she's worked in media a long time. Um, the clips I have seen of her speaking on issues, she's very intelligent, dissecting the uh, issues, articulate. And um, so they got rid of her. And so then again, you know, every time one of us, so to speak, uh, gets fired from one of these mainstream networks, I never see those people who gotten fired over the years or even the Black Journalists Association coming together and saying, hey, what? Hey, check this out. It's the 21st century. Uh, a lot of people is, is creating web series on, on YouTube and using other technology through the Internet to create, you know, their own platforms and becoming quite successful in creating uh, uh, these, you know, platforms. And I, I don't see that. I don't see them crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, coming together with their expertise and the money I hope they have saved that they got paid in the corporate world and, and, and doing something that would benefit the black community as a whole because then hopefully it will be without any restraints on their blackness because you know they put restraints on their blackness when they are on white people's TV. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't focus so much on what, um, but I, I don't, you know, the top 20% that I talk about, I, I, I like, I don't really focus on them at all. So Anybody you don't working, think any of these people are interested 
and when they get fired. I don't focus on mm-hmm. black folks who are at the top of the civic world game in you know in Western white Western world. I okay. don't focus on them because there's nothing we can do for them. Okay. They are, you can't do anything for an NBA star. If you can't pay him, you can't give him no speaking speech, nothing you can do for him, right? You can only get paid inside the, the NBA orbit. It's, it's, it's expanding, so it's good orbit, you know. And black folks are doing some things in there. I think I see some movements within that, that orbit that are somewhat encouraging. I don't want to get into them now, but the point is that that's within that orbit. There's nothing you can do for him outside his orbit, right? Outside of that orbit. Okay. Um, how there's nothing you can do for the, the best and the brightest researchers and genetic researchers. Nothing you can do for them. You don't have any hospitals, you don't have any research facilities, you don't have, you know, nothing you can do for them. So you're focusing so, on uh, that 30% in the middle. So yeah, I, so uh, I don't, I don't focus on those folks. I hope to rule those folks, some of those seats people out of that group, group because it's like, you know, think, you know, and I look at Fidel Castro. I use him as an example because he represents, and it happens all the time. And I consider myself a, a part of that 20% who could work anywhere in the world that I wanted to work and could have been, you know, got out there what I wanted to do and I chose to do what I'm doing. I didn't get stuck here. I, you know, I still make these choices, you know, very consciously. But, you know, if you look at Fidel Castro, who is a bourgeois family, and he looked at what was going on in, in Cuba and the oppression, the, the, you know, the, uh, the Batista regime, and, and, and he, he said, I could, I could, I have, I could, I could ferret out a, Survival routine within this, this this oppressive environment because I'm middle class, I'm rich, I'm white. I can do that. But he said, you know something, you know, I'm doing something else. I, I'm doing you know, with, with, with the right thing, what, what seems right by the people. And uh, my thing is like, um, there are those people out there. I think there are, there are those people out there in the top twenty percent. They need to be. They're not going to be leaders though. They're not going to lead us to, you know, to the bottom strand. People, a lot of black folks, particularly the, the bottom 20, um, they really they want that top 20 to lead us to the promised land of, a, you know, to the Western promised land of all of money and resources and stuff. Because that's really all they want. That's all they're really about, you know, the bottom 20 is that money and resources. Get that dollar deal, y'all. That's what they're about, you know, the, the, the bling bling crowd. That's, 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 that's how they've been programmed for. by the, you know, propaganda. Yeah, well, no, they accepted that. Program. They accepted that. They accepted that their lives are reduced to commodities, and that the more commodities they have, the more value they have in this society. They accepted those those terms, and nobody forced them to be in those terms. I mean, they, but yeah, you know, they were programmed to the extent that they had a TV on and they kept looking at it and kept accepting it. And kept well, also, I it. think public education plays a role in programming people to but just be uh, this. Of course, I was in public education. I know about that. Like I said, <laughs> ultimately, you got to take responsibility for accepting what you've been offered. Right, right. You, you, right. you have, you have plenty of opportunity. You, have, uh, military, yeah, you have, yeah, but uh, the bottom people. folks, though, you, I, I like to. You have plenty of peace as a military officer. You, you have plenty of opportunity to accept what you are being offered, right? Right, right. But what I'm saying, though, is in terms of how I talk about that that group of people that you're talking to, I kind of like go back to something Malcolm says about trying not to judge people based on where they are at mentally and whatnot because we may have been there and you know they don't know what we know and at one point in time we didn't know what we know you know if well, that, that makes sense so yeah uh i'm not so hard on them i do believe in constructive criticism 
But I do think that capitalism is, is, you know what I'm saying? It does. You are taught. This is what you're trained to be. Worker bees in the capitalist system. Where do you fit in? You might be uh, marked to be a slave on a prison plantation, or you might be designated to be a NBA player, NFL player. You know, I think that is, that is going on, but I do agree with you at, at a certain point as people come into their own personal awakenings that they then choose to make a choice to keep doing it anyway and accept it. Yeah, I'm not, and I, my, my point wasn't to get, by, you know, I'm not criticizing, I'm not criticizing them. I don't get bogged down in that. I just, I was just saying that, you know, yeah, I'm just letting that go. I don't deal with that and I don't deal with the top 20 okay, either. Okay, uh, got you, got so you. Got, I'm really dealing with the middle 60. The middle 60. I'm really, I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, working from that bottom half of the middle 60, that bottom 30 of the 60s, like, whoa, and trying to work with, because these people, we have them. We have the most interest in, you know, working together, right? Okay. The most interest, and we have the most resource, because it only takes a small, with crowdfunding as it is today, doesn't take that many. That's why culturalgrassroots.com has said, we've, uh, we're a proposition, and we're not a funding portal yet, because okay. it, we're not going to, it's not a top-down proposition, it's a bottom-up. It's like, is there a crowd of black folks who have a self-centered historical view of the world and are already willing and able to fund the world they want to see? If there are, let's see, let's get those 50,000 emails here, and then we will build the portal. And, and as that whole process of, of registering 50,000 and getting the portal built, and when we launch, I guarantee you, we will have the best array of projects submitted by the best group of entrepreneurs um, well, that you could possibly hope for. Because that process in and of itself is, is one in which you are digging deep and you are building a reservoir of trust and confidence and, you know, and expectation. So, so we're, that's what we're out to do. And, and it's so, it's so crazy, Scott, because this is not a proprietary, this is not a proprietary venture. I mean, I, I put the site up and who cares? Right? right. Who cares? The road ass who put Kickstarter up, Kickstarter up, they all run there. It's like, yo, we, we have an opportunity that we could actually put a million dollars together. Like, yeah, well, I great. want you to talk about that, Mr. Adams. We got like, maybe, uh, about, um, six minutes left and in the article you talk about the dynamics of it how it works how only fifty thousand black folks chipping in twenty dollars is one million dollars and and you you know compare it to uh, some of the kickstarter campaigns let me just read this crowdfunding as a mechanism creates a umbilical core that reconnects black accomplishment to the black body politic from where these success stories originate the largest pool of contributors to crowdfunding campaigns contribute between $10 and $25. 50,000 black folks chipping in $20 is $1 million, which, if some of the Kickstarter campaigns are any indication, can happen in 24 hours and certainly in 30 days. So you talk a lot about the, the potential, and you give a formula here. It is quite amazing, man. Think about this. If we, if this, if crowd, if cultural grassroots is up and running, we got our 50,000 registered people, right? And these are the black folks who understand what that site is saying, taking the time to understand the work. And as you know, the site is very simple. 
You know, you go to the side, you're like, well, damn, what is this? So it's, it's just a couple words, a couple sentences. And you you got to actually take your time and read the sentence and understand what he's saying, you know? You know, infrastructure of self-sufficiency. Damn, what does that mean? Okay, well, understand it. Understand what the hell it means. But the point is that, think about this, man. At any point, you can have a million. I hear we got a situation in, 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 uh, you know, that you need to put, um, um, you got some activism in, in, in play, right, around an issue. Let's say we wanted to, to really attack this whole um, stand-your-ground law in Florida. You know, we could put a million dollars and put a, 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 a activist, organized organization um, that can put people on the ground and do their ability to do a canvassing and get a campaign going on around these issues and target folks and get money and, and vote. You mean we could do that right now, overnight? Yes. Yeah, yes. we've we seen things like that happen in the states, um, like in Alaska. Um, you know, uh, what was her name? Charlo Green. She was a black reporter who said on air that talked about how she owned this marijuana dispensary that her station just got through doing this report and then said, F it, I quit on air and started working, raising money and lobbying to pay, to get, uh, uh, cannabis you know, recreational cannabis passed as a state law in Alaska, and she already had her business model going. Right. Yeah. Well, and the point is that, so, and I, so, so then woman gets on the air and says, look, I got a, a dispensary century up here, and I'm doing this thing, it's legal, and it's going to break in this country, and they've got big lobbying organizations out here that are doing this, and black folks, are, you know, and uh, as an aside, black folks have been going to jail for weed, so it's, it's a crime against humanity that we've been going to jail for weed, you know what I'm saying, and getting right. and ruining lives and uninterrupting careers and all that kind of shit, uh, but it's a crime against humanity that's been happening, and all of a sudden now it's going to be a legal enterprise and business, and we're going to sit back and watch and not get part of it, this chick is saying, no, I'm going to be part of it. Particularly since most, you know, people, so we can get into business. And what if she came to us and said, it'd be nice if I had some operating capital because with $500,000, here's what I could do. I could do boom, boom, boom. And she laid it out and we showed, and she, you know, and it all came together and the crowd could verify what she was saying and was looking at the business. And, 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 and you know, you could put that on a black site so that the people within that site say, yes. We, we, as a community, that's, that's a, you know, that could be part of our economy of our existence in, in so far as that we, you know, there's lots of folks who are involved in the business. And so, you know, all of a sudden, you know, within a night, she's got the money, the capital to open up a dispensary that could be, that's going to, you know, be part of this new industry. Yeah, or start a chain in Alaska and employ black folks. You know, who knows? In the, in the next ten years, all fifty states can be legal, and you can and you can and with that kind of dispensary and that kind of foothold, that business can grow to a well, franchise actually, that's Mr. run Adams. by this black woman who is financed by all these black crowdfunding people. Yeah, think about that. Yeah, Mr. Think Adams, there are two bills in Congress right now in in federal government in Congress right now to uh, legalize it. So. That's soon, that's, that's sooner than coming than what a lot of people think. But I get the that's idea. Right. We just use that as a business model, as a crowd, uh, um, um, example of a project that could be crowdfunded. Um, and it yeah, wouldn't take a lot of people. Like you say, 50,000 black folks chipping in $20 is $1 million. And you know, with that kind of, uh, capital, you could do a lot. You could do a lot. Yo, yeah. We could do that. On a, we could do that. On a, Six months out of the year, exactly more <laughs> than once. Yes, we could we could kick off. You know, and most um, startup businesses. If you look at most startup businesses, their first round of investment, really, of getting off the ground and stuff, is really is absolutely under a million dollars. 
Mm-hmm. $100 million. So for two, three hundred thousand dollars, four hundred five, you know, somewhere in that range, there's a bunch of strategic opportunities that we could be looking at. And 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 you know, the thing is that we don't even know what the opportunities are right now. This, the whole notion that we're sitting at culturalgrassroots.com with fifty thousand black people saying, Yeah, well we got we're ready, what you got? The whole notion. What do you think we can inspire amongst our thinkers and our entrepreneurs and our thinkers out there? If they knew that they had this pool of black folks sitting back saying, what you got? I got the money. What do you think we can aspire? It's, 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 it's endless. It's the possibilities. Yes, yeah, it's, it's endless. So, yeah. So right now, the stage is, is to get those 50,000 emails. That's all people are doing is when they register for the um, proposal, right? We're proposing that we be uh-huh. a part they of this. They go to the site. They mm-hmm. put their email in. And they will get an email in their, at their address that says, did you send it, did you join this site? And all you gotta do is open that email and confirm, yes, I did join that site, and bang, that's it. That's it. So we're just it, at it, the stage of trying to get 50,000 like-minded people to crowdfund some stuff, some ideals and some proposals, and that'll be later. But right now, we're just trying to get the 50,000 people who think they want to be a part of something like that. That's right. Okay. That's right. 50,000 people are ready, willing, and able to fund the world they want to see. Stop talking about it. Just do it. Just oh, do you it. You want to see this out of Shakur story, uh, a movie? Oh, you, what you going to do? Pay Hollywood for that? No. I mean, want to see Hollywood do that story. Come on. Hmm. We can do that story right now. I can get Trudy on the phone right now. Trudy Dash, the, the director of Daughters in the Dust, the perfect person to handle this out of Shakur story. We get on the phone right now and put a million or five million dollars in our hands and say, Julie, we need something on this. We want to see something, something creative. We want to see, we, we want to know this story. It reaffirms our whole history of resistance against oppression. And we need to see that story and we need to make it. And we need to fund it. Right. So that we can fight some of that propaganda that's being put out there like American Sniper and all that kind of crap. But, um, we yeah. Tell our story. That's it. Right. We can take that. I'm not fighting you. I'm telling my story. My story is different than you. Okay. But if it's in the propaganda wars, what I'm saying, Mr. Adams, as a student of media, we're, I understand you saying we need to know this story. It's our story. So, but it does have war value in terms of, uh, you know, getting our people thinking right. And, and, Absolutely. and deprogramming. The only way to go, you, let me tell you something, Scott. You know, as I know, as soon as you start talking politics, people's antennas go up. You start, you start telling jokes, people all of a sudden they're receptive, they're laying back, they got their hands up, their feet stretched out, and they're drinking, having a drink, and just getting relaxed and getting into it, right? Right. So what the jokes are about the same thing as the political statement that you were trying to make. It doesn't matter, they receive it differently. Entertainment is the, one of the best communicators that, that we've come up with in terms of um, uh, uh, human communication, and it always has been. It's a way of reflecting on who you are, where you've been, where are you going? That's what entertainment, that's what plays and movies and television, that's what they're all about. Mm-hmm. It is not just entertainment. It is entertainment, and, but it's about how we live. And we are, have to be producers in that game or we don't stand a chance because you, you know, what can you do if you have no clue about where, who you are and where you're going? All right. Well, Mr. Marlon L. Adams, Cultural Grassroots 
dot com. That's the website, culturalgrassroots.com. Um, if you are listening from the profile page, excuse me, our profile page, it is linked up for you for today's show description and, uh, we'll be there also for the podcast. Thank you again, Mr. Adams. Um, I registered from, for, you know, my email when I first talked to you <laughs> last year. So you already got my email and I hope you at, probably, you know, probably got a lot of our articles already. Yeah. Yeah. The one that out. We, yeah we well, that's how I came, that's how I knew about this one. <laughs> yeah. That's how I knew about this one. So I hope that, you know, uh, since a year has passed that you are closer to 50,000 people who just think they might want to fund, you know, uh, um, a crowdfund and work in unity and harmony with other black people. If you just think you want to do it, just go ahead and register. That's all. You ain't even got to make a commitment to do anything right now. We just trying to see if it's 50,000 people out there with like minds that that thinks that uh we should practice cooperative black economics thank you mr adams thank you scotty all right we'll be talking to you bye-bye now have a good night all right time goes by fast i would should have been off the air uh but since tando radio show uh has been canceled for tonight he'll be back on air tomorrow night i thought we would run at least a few a uh, few minutes over i didn't get to get to uh all of the james o'keefe i said what i had to say about um al sharpton and the racist suspect james o'keefe um in the film that he put out i will check it out if i have more to report later i will uh report but i don't have anything else to say about that but john legend's oscar acceptance speech pointing out modern slavery i wrote an article about it i applaud him uh, for putting slavery in the same sentence as correctional control. He linked the two. You know what I'm saying? Gets people thinking the two are synonymous and whatnot by using those two words in the same, uh, sentence. And so I appreciate that. He fell short of just calling it straight out slavery, you know, but he did mention that there are more people under correctional control in, the, uh, today than there were enslaved African men back in 1850. Now the thing, the only, the only criticism I have with that, I already said he didn't come out and call it slavery. Maybe he still hasn't reached that point yet in his abolitionist journey. If indeed he is on that path and, um, you know, maybe he, he isn't there yet, but he, he's getting there. He's getting there. But the only other criticism I would say is let's stop making it just about black men because a lot of black women, black children is being locked up in prisons, halfway houses, youth detention facilities. I mean, they are a target and they are suffering. And I know black men are the number one target and they are suffering the most. Okay. But. If one is like Sister Abner says in the clip I play sometimes, if one black person is being harmed, that means all of us are being harmed. All right. So let's not just make it about black men. Maybe that's the narrative they want us to to put out there, because who cares about black men? The wider society does not care about black men. So I think, you know, that perhaps somebody is trying to keep us trapped in the language of only associating black men with slavery when it's black men, black women, black children, 
Hispanic men, Hispanic women, Hispanic children, uh, uh, entire families, the GO group has talked about enslaving in one place, the entire family. All right. Indigenous folks, uh, um, you know, Pacific Islanders, wherever there is an American colony. All right. People are being enslaved under this system. All right. So, yeah, that's the only thing. I don't want it to. We got to get away from that language. We, we got to be more inclusive because we don't want to be self-dividing. We don't want to be dividing ourselves by saying, oh, you know, if all I'm posting or talking about is black men, then the sister was sitting over there watching me. How come you don't never say nothing about black women? You know, this black woman, you know, just got shot and killed the other day by this cop. Same thing is going on. Not on the scale as black men, but damn, don't you care? Don't you got daughters? Don't you got mothers? Don't you got sisters? And what about the black children? You know? So, I mean, we got to include everybody when we point that out. Because then they wouldn't be able to try to pick apart uh, John Legend's statement by saying, okay, uh, there are more black men under correctional control than there were black men who were enslaved in 1850. You know, if we just say people, there are more people, more people enslaved than any time in the point of this corporation's history, the corporation known as the United States of America. There are more people enslaved right now than at any point in, in this nation's history right now. See, then there's no debate there. There's no checking, fact checking and all this and that, you know, they're not trying to pick it apart. Even though the fact checkers, they tried to pick him apart, had to rate him as being mostly true. And they say mostly true is because they don't include, you know, jails and probation and, and youth detention facilities and stuff. Cause those aren't black men, those black children. So they include those. So they said it was mostly true. All right. But again, if we include every, all the victims, then we don't have to get into those little minor squabbles with them. You know, it, 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 and, it and it just shows that we care about everybody. That's being enslaved. So if you being enslaved, you got an ally in me. All right. You got an ally right here. I'm in the abolitionist movement. So let's make moves. All right. We're going to bring uh, into the program. I would have liked to gotten more in depth than that. But guess what? I can pick it back up Thursday or I can produce a video and write another article that you will see published on Black Talk Radio Network. Dot com. Uh, before we wrap up the show, let me mention again, we are in the midst of the Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser. Uh, the Black Talk Media Project was created as a North Carolina-based nonprofit media education organization. When I say media, I mean new media, even though we'll use old media, whatever, you know, technology, as long as it works. Um, but, you know, for the primary mission was to elevate black voices. It started out as just making, getting my voice back out, the, out there at the white people shut me down. All right. Even though they restored me, say, Oh, you can come back. I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back. I was like, I'm going to figure out how you doing what you doing and I'm going to do it for myself. And once I became proficient at doing it for myself, I was like, man, Malcolm X said media most powerful entity on the face of the planet. So that means we need to harness the media and thus the black talk media project was born to teach others to teach others 
uh, everything that I know that I have learned in the past seven years of uh, being inspired to get my own voice back out there after white people shut it down. All right. So, yeah. And so now it's a, a, a global effort, a black global community effort. So we hope that you will contribute to the Black Talk Media Project 2015 fundraiser and help us meet our goal of 60000 a budget of $60,000 uh, for 2015. All right. Um, again, uh, let me see. It is Tuesday night, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, Tanya Free and Friends talk show at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Um, then that will be followed uh, later on. More live program will be 6 o'clock, the Tando radio show, and then 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, New Abolitionist Radio. All programming heard and brought to you by the Black Talk Radio Network. All right, y'all be safe. Until then. Peace and blessings. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.